This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 91, Kirtlandville, Adventures That You Can Do. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today, I'm going to break format a little bit and do something different. You know, we've had a lot of amazing guests on our show, and it's been a really exciting time to get to know people who have dog sledded around the Arctic Circle, or ventured to the North Pole and back, or completed winter ascents of Denali. We've had people that have climbed thousands of peaks all over the world, We've had ultramarathoners who run hundreds of miles on multi-day races. We've had people that have through-hiked thousands of miles over the Continental Divide Trail or the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or even all three. We've had guests who have biked over 60,000 miles all around the world. We've had guests who have motorcycled throughout the world going through countries in South America and Africa and Asia and It's just been an amazing, amazing ride to get to enjoy all of these guests. We even had an astronaut who's been to space many times. But all of these things have something in common. They're not very approachable for the average person. Now, I believe that almost anyone can do and succeed at almost any of these adventures, given time and tenacity and desire and stick-to-itiveness, You too can be someone who maybe has been to the South Pole and back. But what about those approachable adventures? What about the doable adventures that we could do right now, anytime, any day? This show is dedicated to the everyday adventures. At the end of the show, I'm going to share a list of five really accessible adventures, just some ideas that you might want to try uh, by yourself, with a friend, with your family, Just something to uh, shake up the day-to-day grind a little bit and have a new experience. You never know where it might lead you. But first, I want to talk to you about some of my more common adventures. Now, I've really been blessed in this life that I've had the opportunity to do some really fun adventures, and I'm humbled by that. But you know, I love to get out there, and I love to see what I can do and what I can experience. You know, I've climbed dozens of Colorado's 14,000-foot peaks, I've been skydiving, I've scuba dived in rivers, lakes, caves, and oceans. I've done 500-mile bike trips. I've done backpacking trips to remote high mountain wildernesses. I've done adventure travel through Kenya and British Columbia and even circumnavigated the North American continent in a 1968 Volkswagen when I was 17. I've done canoe trips and whitewater kayaking and rafting and winter camping, snow caving in the Rocky Mountains. But I wanted to share with you a few stories that were just more common and perhaps in some ways more meaningful. The first story is about a cave and a waterfall and grills and fireflies. I had a great friend named Michelle back in college, and one day we decided to go on a drive and see what we could find, and we ended up in a state park in Arkansas. And at this state park, there was a cave, and We had to go in and see it, of course, so we grabbed a couple of flashlights and started hiking back in this cave. Now, this was not a a cave with sidewalks and handrails. This was just an open cave that you could kind of explore, and it didn't go that far. You know, it went several hundred yards, maybe a quarter mile back into a mountain, 
And we got way back to the very end of this cave, to the dead end, the big rock pile that blocked our, our forward progress, and we turned out the flashlights. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen darkness like this darkness. Unless you have turned out the lights deep in a cave, you probably haven't. It is so dark that there is absolutely nothing that you can see. And we decided, knowing that we'd hiked through the cave already, it wasn't dangerous, that we would try to hike out of the cave without using our lights. I know it sounds crazy, but it was just a, an idea, a sense of adventure that we wanted to try. And so we put our hands out in front of us and started walking in the general direction of what we thought the exit might be. And we couldn't see anything, of course, but our hands would touch a wall. And it was really surprising because as I touched and felt the wall, I began to see it. Now, I knew I couldn't really see it. It was an illusion, but my mind formed the image of the wall as I touched it, just like our mind forms the image out of the little neuron signals that travel from our eyes to our brain. You know, we see without our eyes. The proof of this is when you dream at night. You see clearly in your dreams with your eyes closed tight. Our mind is what really sees, and as we would touch the rocks, they would form in front of us, even though it was still pitch black but we really felt like we could see them, and it was amazing. And so we continued on stumbling in the dark and feeling our way out of this cave for probably 45 minutes or more and finally got close enough to the entrance that we had some natural light. It was surprising when we did get to the light how bright it was, but also how different it felt. I I don't know really how to describe it, Maybe there's some amazing food that you've never, ever tasted, and when you try it for the first time and there's an explosion of flavor in your mouth and your senses are just on alert because of this amazing sensation that you're having, well, that's what the light was like. We, we take life for granted. It was right there in front of us every day of our lives, but as we finally got to the natural light after being in the darkness for quite a while trying to find our way out of this cave, the light had a quality that I've just never experienced before. Amazing to experience light after that kind of darkness. It was a true adventure, even though it was a rather small thing, but it didn't stop there. As we were walking, we felt a crack in the wall, and there was a cool breeze blowing through this crack. And we thought, well, what on earth is that about? And the, the crack was just big enough to kind of shimmy through sideways. And we went in maybe 15 feet, and then there was a hole in the floor. And I had no idea how deep the hole was. And uh, it, But this breeze was coming out through the hole, and I just couldn't resist. So I, I put my feet down into this hole and slowly lowered myself until my feet touched bottom. And I got down in there, and there was a small, tight passage and it was full of mud and puddles, but the breeze was blowing through. And of course, we had the flashlights on again at this point. And I started crawling through this passage. And my friend Michelle dropped down this hole, and she started following me too. And we're dragging ourselves through on our stomachs and on our sides and crawling. and just getting mud and filth ground into our clothes. But what a fun time. And the crazy part is that after a while, we popped out. We popped back outside at an entrance that we didn't know even existed to the cave. So we did this this through Spelunk and discovered a whole new route. Now, we certainly weren't the first people to discover this route, I'm sure, but just because we found it, it was so new and exciting to us. And as we're coming out, the light's getting a little bit low. It's the end of the day, and we look at each other, oh, covered 
with mud and filth and probably bat guano and everything else. Well, it had been raining quite a bit recently, and there was a waterfall that was gushing off of the mountain that the cave was in. And as we're hiking along, we come to this waterfall, and I said, you know what? We're too filthy to get in the car anyway. So I just stepped under the waterfall. Now, it was a pretty good-sized waterfall with probably a 30-foot drop. And as the water came thundering down on my head and shoulders, it was all I could do to keep my balance and to keep my feet under me because literally thousands of pounds of water are thundering on top of me and rushing all around my body, just just batting me back and forth. But you know what? 10 seconds in that cool, refreshing water, and there wasn't any mud left in my clothes. It was the insta-rinse. And Michelle did the same thing. We're soaked to the bone, but at least now we're clean. So we hiked back to where we had parked the cars. And at this point, it was getting good and dark. And this was a state park. And I still to this day don't know what this was about. But there were grills, permanent grills and picnic tables set up where people could have meals in the state park. Dozens of them. And every single grill had charcoal lit and ready for for grilling the perfect steak or hamburger or hot dogs. Every single grill at every single picnic table was lit and perfectly waiting as if someone had planned it just for us. And we looked around and we were the only ones in the state park. But every grill was, was lit with charcoal and ready. We kept looking around, thought, well, maybe there's a wedding party or a family reunion or something going on, but no one was there. And to this day, we don't know what what was the cause of all the lit grills. But you know what? We decided to take advantage of it. We threw some hamburger meat on a grill. We had a great dinner, and now it's really getting dark, really dark. And so we decided to walk out on this little bridge that crossed over a an oversized creek, maybe a small river in the area. And I'm not sure what caused it, but this is one of two times in my life that I've seen this happen. Fireflies were flying that night. And I'm not talking about a few here and there like we see sometimes. I'm talking about a a hatch of fireflies by the millions. Fireflies so thick that you think you're going to breathe them into your mouth. And as you look above you into the darkness from this bridge, there were stars and just hundreds of thousands of fireflies. And as your eyes would fall to the horizon, the stars began to fade, but the fireflies continued. And it was difficult to tell what was a star and what was a firefly. And as you look down... Toward the river, under the bridge, there were fireflies reflecting in the water. And once again, just hundreds of thousands of lights twinkling on and off. And and little insects flying through the night. Unbelievable. Was that a big, crazy adventure? You know, all we did is go on a little drive. And we found a state park. And we found a cave. And we decided to just see where everything would lead. One of the most amazing memories And it was just a small adventure, but you know what? It was a glorious adventure. You know, I learned that there's magic in unexpected places if you take time to look, if you take time just to soak up the world around you and not just go whizzing by in a car. Story number two, Notch Mountain. This time, we're in Colorado, and my good friends Dan and Blaine and I decided to go for a hike one Saturday afternoon. Well, we drove into the Rockies, and went to a trailhead that we'd been wanting to check out, a trailhead that is used to climb the 14er Holy Cross. But we knew we didn't, we didn't have time to do a 14er, so we thought maybe we would just hike on the trail a ways and see what we found. Well, torrential downpour starts up. I mean, icy cold rain, really hard rain. And so 
We went to Minturn, this small little community not far from Vail. We found a cafe, and we ate some food, and we just waited out the storm. And finally, the storm did stop in the evening. We thought, wow, well, we'll see how far we can hike, maybe do a short hike before it gets dark. So we headed down this trail, and we just kept going. And the sun did set, but this glorious moon came out, and we could still see. And if you've ever hiked by moonlight, you know the silvery light of the moon just adds a a surreal quality to the woods and to the mountains, to the landscape around you. If you've not hiked at night, that alone is a beautiful adventure. By moonlight, you've got to try it. So we just kept hiking because we had great light. And we ended up climbing a 13er quite by accident. We got up on top of this 13er and the wind was was frigid cold and blowing strong. And we had to, to kind of drop down into little holes between rocks just so that we could stay and enjoy the scenery. But from there in the moonlight, we saw the Mount of the Holy Cross. And in this mountain, there are two coulars that actually form the shape of a cross that's probably 500 to 1,000 feet tall. And these coulars fill up with snow, and they glowed in the moonlight. It was an amazing experience, and the wind is whistling over the peak, and there's something about the wind at elevation like that. I think maybe it generates uh, ions in the air or something that just trigger that Rocky Mountain high, that endorphin rush that is just so amazing. And then we looked up at the night sky and the stars. We could see thousands of more stars, thousands of times more stars than you can see from your average town. Just stars so thick that it almost looks like the sky is, is foggy with stars. And we enjoyed the stars. We enjoyed the view of Mount of the Holy Cross. We were enjoying the moonlight. Couldn't believe that we summited something this high. We started back down, and you guessed it. The moon sat, and the clouds rolled back in. The stars were gone. Another darkness story. Now, I'm not exaggerating. It was not as dark as the cave. But it was so dark that you could not see your hand in front of your face. And I know that people say that, but it's not an exaggeration. I tried. Literally, we couldn't see our hands in front of our faces. The good news is we had a pretty good trail. And if you stepped off the trail, there was a lot of brush and undergrowth. So you would immediately realize that you weren't on the rocky trail anymore. And so we started feeling our way mile after mile, hour after hour, down this 13,000-foot peak into the, the forest. And, you know, we began to be concerned because the trailhead where we started wasn't where the trail started. It was just a place where you could jump onto a trail that went right on by the parking lot. And it was so dark, we didn't expect we'd be able to see the cars. But somehow, as we got to the trailhead... There was just enough light that got through the clouds that we saw a reflection, and we looked, and sure enough, the cars were there. So we finally got back to the cars. I don't know. It was probably midnight. And uh, was it wise to take off on that length of a hike that late at night without flashlights and without gear to spend the night and all that kind of stuff? No, it was probably pretty stupid. But you know what? We made an amazing, amazing memory. And Dan and Blaine, thank you for that time. That was a great time. You know, the challenge of that, when you don't know whether to keep going or to stop, when you don't know really where you're going because you can't even see, and your mind starts to imagine that you see things that maybe you do, maybe you don't. Was that a bear? Was that an elk? Was that a moose? Was that a mountain lion? Was that a sound? Was that a squirrel? Or was that something more nefarious? And the biggest challenge of that adventure, I think, was just to carefully keep going 
until we got back to the car, got back to a place where we could have shelter. And anyway, I learned from that that sometimes when the way is lost, the best thing you can do is carefully and wisely keep seeking out what life has to hold for you. Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu. Story number three, wildlife area camp. I have a cousin named Patty. He's a great lady. And Patty's son is named Jesse. And when Jesse was young, probably about 11 years old, I was quite a bit older and we decided that we would try to go backpacking in this wildlife area. Well, Patty was kind enough to loan me her beautiful red Jeep Cherokee And we grabbed what little packs we had. We didn't have proper packs. We grabbed some blankets and maybe an old ratty sleeping bag. And we did the best we could to put together something that we could carry on our backs. Now, this is in northeastern Oklahoma in the Flint Ridges. And it's a heavily forested area with steep ups and downs and clean running streams and that sort of thing. Well, in Oklahoma this time of the year, there are a lot of of, uh, ticks that are just deer ticks that are scattered throughout the woods and you really have a hard time hiking if you're off trail or in the woods at all because you just get eaten alive by these ticks and chiggers and mosquitoes it can be pretty rough so jesse and i decided that we would hike upstream this little stream maybe 10 feet wide and as we're hiking up this stream we found arrowheads we saw places where native americans used to grind um grains in the rocks, where the rocks have been hollowed out by decades and decades of of scraping grain and grinding it into rough flowers. We found little cave systems that are tucked away in the bluffs around this stream. 
beautiful forested area, um, just amazing wildlife. Their foxes, their raccoons, their deer. We even saw the tracks of panthers, which is surprising, but they're in that area. And we finally found a spot and we pitched some sort of a tent. We spent the night and then we hiked back out again. And once again, wading in the water because you just can't walk through the woods with all of these ticks. And we finally got back out to Patty's beautiful cherry red Jeep Cherokee. So we threw our gear in and we headed out, but we had a little extra time. So we thought, well, hey, let's see where this road goes. Well, as we're kind of exploring this wildlife area, we came to a a large puddle in the road. And, you know, we'd been through several similar puddles already that day, so thought little of it. We put the truck in four-wheel drive and just kind of moseyed right on in. Well, someone in a much bigger truck had been stuck there and dug out ruts that were way too deep for this Jeep Cherokee. And of course, as the Cherokee started to pot them out, then we gunned it to see if we could get through, and then we coasted to a stop with all four tires spinning in the mud puddle. Free spinning, not even touching dirt. Well, the first problem was this mud puddle was a lot deeper than we thought, and Water's trying to rush into the exhaust pipe, and I'm thinking, oh no, it's not even my truck, and if this muddy water gets into the catalytic converter and that kind of thing, I, I don't didn't know what that would do, so I had Jesse reach over and, and put his foot on the gas and keep the engine revved up to high enough RPM to keep blowing the water out of the exhaust, and I jumped out into this deep mud puddle, and I ran around looking for a way to drain it and finally found some sticks and rocks, and I clawed and dug and dug and dug at the bank of this mud puddle until the water started to drain out, and finally the water drained low enough that it wasn't going to flood the exhaust system. (sighs) So, we killed the engine, Jesse got out, and now we see how bad off we really are. I mean, we are high-centered, all four tires in the air. We don't know how we're going to get out of there, and we are really deep in this wilderness area. I mean, miles deep in this wilderness area. So Jesse, being young, started to get pretty nervous, and I understood. This was intense. He's worried about his mom's truck. He's worried about getting back home again. You know, it was a real stretch for a kid. It was a stretch for me, and I was the older one, right? So we decided we would try to jack up the truck and get something under the tires. Of course, that's what you got to do. So we get the jack out, we stick it under the truck, and we start cranking it up. Of course, the jack just buries up in the mud. The truck doesn't lift at all. So we decided to use some rocks to try to prop under the jack so that we could get a little bit of a lift. Well, this area had no rocks. I don't know how you can be in the flint ridges of northeastern Oklahoma and not have rocks, but this place didn't have rocks. So we start walking down the road, and a couple hundred yards away, there was a creek crossing. And there we found some sandstone slabs, some flat rocks that were pretty heavy, but we were able to carry, but it's about 200 yards. So we carry some rocks back. We put one under the jack. We try to jack up the truck, and the rock buries in this soft mud. Wow. So then we put another rock. We bury that rock, and another rock. We bury that rock, and finally, the rocks found something solid deep in this mud and were able to start lifting the truck. Hours have passed. Now we need rocks to fill up the trenches and to get under the tires. More trips to the creek, 200 yards there, 200 yards back, carrying 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 pounds at a time, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you know what? It wasn't working. 
There's no way that we're going to get this Jeep out of there without another vehicle to pull us, a winch, a wrecker, something. We finally realize we are totally stuck. And now it's becoming late afternoon. I knew that Patty was going to be worried sick because we were supposed to be home already. And Jesse was scared. And I said, Jesse, this is going to be all right. We're going to just hike out of here to a highway somewhere, find someone that can help us out, and then everything will be okay. So we grabbed some food and some water, what we had, and we decided to hike west. It was kind of a roll of the dice, actually, because we really didn't know where we were. We just knew that there was a highway west, and we didn't know how far it was, but we were guessing that we were closer to that highway than we were to any other major road. Now, there was no road that went west. There was no trail that went west. There was only this thick, flint ridge, overgrowth forest that we had to hike through with all the ticks. And as we started hiking in, the ticks started dropping on us. And without exaggerating, again, I would reach down and pull a tick off and flick it off of me, and another would drop on, and I'd flick it off. And Jesse's doing the same thing. So as we walk, we're just flicking off ticks at about a rate of one tick a second or every two seconds or something like that. And we hiked for hour after hour after hour. The highway was not nearly as close as we had hoped that it might be. The sun set and the moon came up and we continued hiking with the moon at our back so we would keep going west. And thousands and thousands of ticks all over us. And in the dark, of course, we can't even see to take them off. So they're biting us and burrowing into our skin. And, oh, what a mess. But finally, at about 11 o'clock at night, we broke out onto a two-lane highway. Never thought a strip of asphalt looked so good in my entire life. And some cars went by, and we tried to flag them down. And you know what? People weren't stopping. But finally, a lady stopped. A lady traveling alone stopped and said, you reminded me of my boys. I thought, wow, the men that just drove right by and didn't stop. But this lady took the risk to help us. And these two exhausted and muddy and tick-infested guys were invited right into her truck. And she drove us to the nearest phone. She offered to take us home and feed us. But we said, no, thanks. We called for help. And we finally were able to get home again. Patty was relieved, but her truck is still stuck in the middle of the wilderness area. And you know what? I probably deserved a good lashing with her tongue, but she was kind. She was forgiving, and she was happy to see that Jesse and I, that we were okay. And the next day, I uh, cleaned up and went back into this wilderness area with my uncle, with his truck and a chain. And we pulled the Jeep Cherokee out of the mud hole and drove it back, cleaned it up, and delivered it back to Patty. And you know what? That was far more adventure than we bargained for. It was supposed to be a simple little hike through a stream and an overnighter, but instead it turned into quite the the adventure to try to find our way out of there. But we learned some amazing things. For one, I had a fantastic experience with my cousin Jesse. Fine young man, a guy that it's just a kid to be proud of. And Jesse learned what perseverance and tenacity was about. And and uh, he learned that if you keep going, then things can work out. And I learned a lot about caring for those in need from that lady who stopped 
and picked us up along that lonely highway at 11 o'clock at night. I learned a lot about forgiveness from my cousin Patty, and I learned so much about the value of a helping hand when the lady picked us up, but also when my uncle took us back in there and pulled the truck out. Sometimes we can't make it through life on our own, and we need some help, and it's okay. And as we reach out and ask for help and others are able to help, then they're blessed, and they become a little part of the adventure too. You know, one other thing that I ought to mention about this camping trip with Jesse is that several years later, Jesse was driving his old truck down the highway and a drunk driver swerved into his lane and hit him head on. And Jesse's old truck didn't have seat belts. It didn't have airbags. And Jesse went off on life's greatest adventure. I'm so thankful that I had the time that I had with Jesse to get to know him, to hike through those woods, fighting those ticks, to try to get that truck unstuck from the mud puddles and to learn about giving and forgiveness and the value of a helping hand together. Jesse, thank you for that time. Story number four. Now, this may not even sound like an adventure, but it was building a tool shed with my grandfather. My grandfather was a hard-working man. He drove trucks for a ready mix. And, you know, when I was in kindergarten or first grade in the summertime, when school was out, my grandfather sometimes would drive up in his big dump truck, and he'd blow that air horn, scared me to death, but I'd come running out of the house, and I would climb the ladder, the steps, into this high, big, loud, rattly dump truck, and my grandpa would take me on a run where he would dump a load of sand for somebody, or maybe unload a load of blocks, or maybe some gravel to help someone's driveway but man, he would be working through those gears and man, how they would whine and that big engine was so loud and we were so high off the ground and as a little kid, I just thought the whole thing was gonna explode or fall apart around us and it it was an amazing thing. But one day when I was a little older, my grandfather decided he was gonna build a tool shed. Now these days, we might go to a, a store and buy a prefab building for a couple thousand dollars and it's going to be flimsy metal and we're going to try to set it up and, you know, it's going to blow over in the first big windstorm. But my grandfather knew how to build things that lasted. Matter of fact, during the Great Depression, um, he had worked with the Works Progress Administration and they had built rock bridges over rivers and streams all over northeastern Oklahoma so that when the floods came, people could still travel so the roads wouldn't wash out and people could get to help if they needed to. He understood the value of building something that would last. So this tool shed, first, he poured a concrete slab that was solid, slab on grade, with, you know, the wire mesh and everything inside, and then he took cement blocks and he started laying those blocks one at a time and building this oversized tool shed and he explained to me as I was helping him how you got to set the first block straight. And that first block will determine the shape and the form of the rest of the building. That block, that cornerstone, that foundational first block sets the course for everything that follows. And then he showed me how to use carpenter's levels and how to use carpenter squares and how to put the mortar down into level blocks and how to sandwich blocks over the seams of other blocks so that they would be stronger together than they could ever be if they weren't part of that combined system. And everything had to be laid just perfectly level and perfectly in line using 
strings and trowels and mortar and blocks. And you know what? It wasn't the flimsy little shed that blows over in the first big windstorm. By the time this was done, he had a castle of a tool shed that was built to last for hundreds of years. And he organized his tools inside of that tool shed so that anything he ever needed, he could lay his hands on with one hand. You didn't have to move stuff or dig through things. Everything was laid out so you could reach and grab, just like a surgeon would have his tools laid out for a surgery. It was amazingly organized, amazingly strong, and built to last. From that, I learned about togetherness. I learned about hard work to build correctly on a firm foundation. And you know what else? That was a very long time ago, but I made memories that have lasted me for a lifetime. My grandfather taught me so many lessons about laying a true course and about how what we do now builds our own future. Now you might think, well, what kind of an adventure is that? Well, you know what? For a kid growing up in Oklahoma that just didn't know any of these things, it was an amazing adventure. Maybe the best adventure was just the time spent with my grandfather. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Now on to story number five, my greatest adventure. You know, I moved to Colorado, and I was a single guy and doing all the crazy adventures. But one day, I met a girl, a girl who loved music, a girl who loved to travel, a girl who loved to hike, and who loved children. And you know what? I asked her out on a date, and on her first date, I drove her to the top of a 12,000-foot pass in the dark with a guitar, and we sang and the wind buffeted our car and felt like it was going to knock us off of this snowy mountain. But we learned a lot about each other. 
And after that came countless dates where we would sit across a table and enjoy some good food, and I would just spend hours soaking up our eyes and exploring our dreams, getting to know each other. And I have to admit, I fell pretty hard for her. And it took her a while to warm up to me. But eventually, I did buy her a ring, and I drove her up a snowy pass again, but this time in the daylight, and we hiked through some open snow fields above treeline, And I got down on one knee and I asked her to spend a lifetime with me. And it has been the greatest adventure of all. And we were blessed almost exactly two years later, actually, with our son, Caleb. We were then later blessed with our daughter, Lydia, and Daniel, and Luke. And you know what? I'm still learning to love. I'm learning to celebrate the joys of life. I'm learning all about growing up all over again and the value of giving and the value of tolerance and the value of hugs and hikes in the woods and backpacking with my kids and learning to ski with them. And I just want to say thank you, Anne. Thank you, Caleb, Lydia, Daniel, Luke, for my life's greatest adventure. And that's you guys. Okay, so those are my five stories. I just wanted to share a little bit about what I consider to be simpler adventures. You know, none of those adventures had anything to do with summiting Mount Everest or running 100 miles or biking around the world. None of those adventures even had anything to do with going to space. But they were memories that have formed in my life that I remember, you know, a lifetime later. And I just want to encourage you, our listeners, you don't have to do the big adventures. If you want to, fantastic. You know what? Email us. We'll help hook you up with some of these people that can show you how to do some of these amazing adventures. But you don't have to go big if you don't want to, but go, go small, go on a drive, do something that will inspire you to to reach beyond the everyday, to make some amazing memories, and to experience things you wouldn't experience otherwise. So I promised at the beginning of the show that I was going to end the show by giving you five doable adventures. These are just some ideas that I've had for things that you might want to try, just something simple that you can do without much gear, that you can do without much planning, but some things that might be really fun. Number one, go on a bike ride. You remember when you were a kid on your little one-speed bike and how exciting that was? How long has it been since you got on your bike and just went for an extended ride? Holy cow. If you don't have a bike, go to a garage sale. (laughs) Get something. Air up those tires. Get out there. Go on a bike ride. If you've got a family and kids, take them on a bike ride. You know, go five miles, something easy, stop for ice cream, but experience the world from the saddle of a bike. It's an amazing experience, a great adventure. Number two, how about sleeping under the stars? You don't have to have expensive backpacks, sleeping bags. You don't have to have bed rolls and tents. You don't have to have any of that gear. You know what you need to have? You need to have a couple of old blankets and a pillow and a place where you can throw them down on the ground and stare at those stars until you can't keep your eyes open anymore, and you fall asleep, and you wake up with a sunrise, and that's an experience that is just the experience of a lifetime. It could be your backyard. It could be a little state park. It could be a trail through the woods. It could be a forest area. It could be a beach. Wherever it is, grab that old blanket and grab a friend or your kids or your wife and just go out there and stare at the stars and tell stories and fall asleep there. 
Number three, take a weekend road trip to some small town that you've never visited and try to learn everything you can about its history, its people, its commerce, and its rhythm. There are amazing experiences to be had by going to a small farming community somewhere. Pick a town on the map you don't know anything about and look it up. Find out why that town is there and then go there and see if there's a little museum and walk through their their city square and visit with some of the people sitting on the bench and find out their story. Make a friend and learn as much as you can about that town and about why the people live there and about what they do there, and experience just a simple weekend road trip. You might be blown away by how adventurous that can be. Number four, this is a really simple one, but one that I love. Next time there's a warm summer rain or a beautiful winter snow, go outside and take a long walk with someone you care about. Walk in that rain and get soaked to the bone Walk in that snow until your fingers turn cold and blue and your teeth start to chatter and and feel the snow fall on your eyelashes. You know, I have to tell a little side story here. Some neighbors called me up one day when my son was about two years old, and they said, hey, we're going to go for a walk in this snowstorm. And, of course, we're in the mountains. I said, okay. So I, I grabbed my son, and I bundled him up layer after layer after layer so he could be warm. I grabbed a toboggan, and I put him in it. So I could pull him along, and we went for a long hike up the mountain, through the roads, by all the houses in the neighborhood where we live, and finally Caleb started to get cold. And I said, all right, well, I better get home. But the beautiful thing was we'd been walking mostly uphill, so I grabbed a stick that I could use as a brake, and I jumped down in that toboggan with my two-year-old son, and you know what? We went flying down the road. There were no cars. The plows hadn't been through yet. I don't know how fast we were going, but I do know that the snow is flying in our faces so badly that I had to cover Caleb's face to keep the snow out of his eyes. And we tobogganed, I kid you not, for probably two to three miles nonstop, the longest toboggan run of my life. Caleb's laughing. We're having the greatest fun. And you know what? It's just because we decided to take a walk in the snow. Made an amazing memory. Take a walk in the summer rain. Take a walk in the winter snow. Don't let the weather keep you indoors. Get out there and experience it and make a memory that you can carry with you for years to come. And number five, another amazing adventure and maybe one that you've never thought of as an adventure before. Help someone in need. Go find somebody who's having a rough spot in life and offer a helping hand. Find a place where you can go and help someone who has needs greater than yours, and I promise you, it will be one of life's greatest adventures. Well, I told you that I was going to break the format. This isn't the standard show. Thank you for bearing with me while you listen to all of my ramblings, but I just really wanted to connect with the listeners on a new level, on a level that was more approachable, and talk about adventures that everybody can have. And I want to encourage you to go out and have those adventures. Be active. Experience nature. Connect with this planet. Connect with the weather and the sunshine. Connect with the seasons. Connect with the way that the light changes throughout the day. Connect with the quality of the air and the temperature and the wind. Connect with that rain and that snow. Get out there and see what this crazy world is about and take a friend along. Have fun. Make memories. And you never know. 
how valuable those memories may be at some point in the future. Well, until next time, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>